really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always drop me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. So, obviously, it's been another busy week, so with all the admin out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So as always, we start with current updates, and you know what? It was a, it was kind of an odd confluence of happenings this week and this weekend, in that you know on one hand, on Friday I was finishing up my twelve weeks replacing the seventh grade English teacher, and that very night, you know in the URC in particular, there's lots and lots of players who also knew this was their very last time on a particular field with a particular group of people, and I don't know it, it, in my mind somehow those two things sort of sort of dovetailed together. And, it, you know, it occurred to me exchanging any known for an unknown is just always going to be difficult, no matter who or where you are or what you're doing. Um, a one disappointing note, by the way, as a rugby fan. So on my last day, I was giving my kids sort of a, a fun quiz just to sort of, you know, blow off a little steam, uh, get them to do some stuff, but also uh, also to sneak in some of my sneaky questions, too. So, uh, for instance, <laughs> I added a few little things like... Uh, one question was, what is the greatest sport in the world? And uh, I'm proud to say they were smart enough to answer correctly because they've heard me mention it so many times. But ugh, when I asked, what is the name of the professional rugby team here in New England? Not one of them knew. So I have, well, I guess had about 116 kids in my classes and not one of them knew that there was such a thing as Major League Rugby at all. So, you know, I guess Ollie Engelhart was right. Our biggest hill to climb is getting it into the schools early on. It's really odd to think about because those very kids could conceivably be the ones playing in our USA home Rugby World Cup nine plus years from now, either of those cups. So, you know, here's hoping some of the programs we've designed to do just that begin to pay off. That would be fantastic. He's taking people have to know. Well, as is often the case, Isa, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but it's definitely news. So I'm taking this directly from Wales Online, which of course I've linked in the show notes. And the article read, quote, The World Rugby Sevens Tournament in Toulouse descended into farce today amid unprecedented scenes that saw England and Argentina effectively stop playing for more than two minutes so they could progress in the competition. In a bizarre turn of events, England's Will Homer burst clear to score a try, but decided not to actually touch the ball down. Remarkably, Argentina let the situation unfold, leaving Homer to stand in the in-goal area for more than two minutes as the clock uh, ticked towards the match's conclusion. Indeed, a couple of Pumas players who attempted to move towards Homer were called back by their own coach. The referee's gentle attempts to encourage Homer to touch the ball down so the game could continue were simply ignored. Homer's try when it eventually was touched down with the clock in the red made the score 19-7 to to Argentina, a result which saw both teams progress to the quarterfinals at the expense of Canada. So Canada had beaten Japan in an earlier game, which sent them to the top of Pool A with two wins and a loss. England had won both of their games before they played Argentina, while Argentina had won one and lost one, which meant they needed a win to progress to the quarterfinals, and England 
only needed to lose by fewer than 16 points. So Homer's try with England 19 down at the time meant England would lose by 12 or 14 points. So he decided to run the clock down to lessen the chances of Argentina scoring again late on. And this suited Argentina, who were down to six men by this point, uh, as it ended any prospect of England scoring two late scores that would potentially knock them out of the competition as well. So while the rulebook essentially allowed this situation to unfold, many believe it was contrary to World Rugby's regulations around integrity and respect for the game. You know, fans piled onto social media to label the incident disgusting and shameful and reprehensible, while others blamed the rulebook for allowing the situation to legally uh, develop. The commentators on World Rugby's coverage of the event were stunned, saying, quote, that is brutal on Canada. Wow, I've never seen anything like that on a rugby field before. Unbelievable situation. But you can't blame the players or the coaches, unquote. So I know this podcast doesn't ordinarily cover sevens, uh, but this one was just too weird to ignore. So if if you're one of these people with, you know, a super hot, very strong opinion about this one, please get in touch. I would love to hear what you think. And moving on to my thoughts of the week and for a big, big change, my thoughts this week were on the high school game. So as I mentioned on Twitter, Flow Rugby actually decided to carry the high school national championships. And I'm very happy they did, as this level has never had any exposure at all, in my experience at least. It can only mean good things for the game here in the United States. To quote an article from Cleveland.com, which is not a phrase I ever anticipated during this lifetime, uh, using during this lifetime, uh, quote, Elkhart, Indiana, St. Ignatius rugby team is coming back to Cleveland with a national championship. So the Wildcats outlasted Gonzaga from Washington, D.C., 23-14 to on Saturday in the National Championship of High School Rugby at the Moose Rugby Grounds in Elkhart, Indiana. Wow, the Moose at the Elk. Interesting. Uh, this marks the first national title for the Wildcats, who have made six state, uh, state championships in Ohio, to their credit, since 2014. They finished this spring with a 13-1 and record. Their only loss came April 1st to a French program, Rouen Normandie Rugby. Uh, the Wildcats reached the national title game by winning matchups Thursday and Friday, including a 24 victory Friday against Kansas-based St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, St. Ignatius faced Gonzaga once already this season, beating the fellow Jesuit program 34-5 on March 19th in Morgantown, West Virginia. So in the rematch, the Wildcats scored the first 17 points with Joey George's first across the goal area. Gonzaga pulled within 28-14 before Voth added another penalty kick with about a minute left in the match to seal it, unquote. So congrats to all of you, and let's hope this tournament sees its profile get larger and larger in the coming years. Let's make rugby grow. So as always, that brings us to our reviews of the latest action. So once again, my friends, I'm going to try very hard to go into detail with one particular match per competition in an effort to keep things, you know, tight around here. Of course, this week... We didn't actually start with Super Rugby because back home here in the MLR, my Free Jacks had to play Toronto in Canada on Thursday night. And that was where our epic win streak would come to an end with a pretty convincing win by the Arrows, 33 to 18. Now, granted, we did not send our top squad by any means, but I don't want to pretend that's an excuse or anything. I am very sure Coach Matthews sent a team he felt could take care of business. And uh, we just didn't. Uh, the tri-tally uh, tri was four to two in the arrow's favor, and Toronto also grabbed three penalty kicks to two. I do see that both assistant referees were Canadian, as well as the TMO. So, you know, I'm perfectly fine here to, to blame them entirely, right? R right? <laughs> in all seriousness, congrats to friend of the pod, James Dealey's arrow's team. It was a well-deserved win, and I hope it serves as a wake-up call or a, a lights a fire under us in some way that gets us firing on all cylinders headed towards the postseason. 
Then, of course, as usual, we traveled down to Super Rugby Pacific, and I have to do a bit of a mea culpa here, folks. So, as you know, I love this competition, but but somehow, I honestly thought they still had at least five or six more rounds to go. I obviously wasn't paying strict attention. And no, uh, this weekend is the penultimate round. I have been sorely remiss in updating the league table and potential playoff scenarios because I thought it was still a ways away. I will be sure to fix that today. Also, if the URC's final round was this weekend and the Prem and Super Rugby both played their second to last, it suddenly occurred to me how much less rugby there will be until the summer internationals. Hopefully, my Free Jacks will make a nice deep run in the playoffs, but on top of that, you know, if you've been missing my Scottish Super 6 updates, they may well be on the way in short order. <laughs> anyway, on Friday, of course, it was Crusaders versus the uh, Fijian Drua, and as one would expect, it was a beatdown, with Crusaders looking to make a real statement, and that they would do to the tune of nine tries to nil for a 61-3 final score, and they do look like they're starting to click, despite three losses this year. N next up was the Reds. They were facing Moana Pacifica, and, you know, there was a beautiful ceremony to start this match. I believe they called it the Nation's Welcome, and it was sort of you know, moving and chilling at the same time. I just, I love the solemnity with which the players acknowledge these special occasions. It was a thing of beauty for sure. Uh, as for the game itself, you know, Moana Pacifica, they scored first, but the Reds just overwhelmed them the rest of the way. Another valiant fight, but 34 to 22 was the somewhat flattering final tally in this one. So next up, chronologically where I am, at least, we had three URC matches as well as two in the Prem, starting with the URC in its final round for the regular season. It was Benetton hosting Cardiff. In my notes, I just said, oh, my God, Benetton up 31 to 7 at halftime. WTF, 55 to 21 with 10 minutes left, 62 to 21. Holy crap. These are the types of notes I've taken. Yeah, very, very scholarly. Uh, final match of the season and Cardiff utterly crapped themselves 69 to 21 was the final score in this one this marks the only the third time in the history of this competition that benetton have scored above 50 just unbelievable next up was a trip to belfast for ulster facing the sharks the sharks decided to wait until it was almost entirely too late to find their form threatening as the final moments clicked away only down 24 to 21 but a simple turnover ended the affair looked like a missed opportunity to me for sure then it was Ospreys versus the Bulls in Swansea, 10 to 12 at half, and then just all Bulls after that. After getting their asses thoroughly kicked throughout the entire second half, Ospreys scored a garbage time try and converted it, and the comms semi-sarcastically proclaimed, only one more converted try, and then Ospreys would get two bonus points, and then everyone's happy. Uh, yeah, that's definitely how I would describe Welsh rugby fans at the moment. Happy. Of course, let's make it interesting, folks. They did get and convert that very try, which meant they were only down seven with one last shot. Would there be a crappy little miracle in Swansea? Uh, of, of course, no. No such magic. Bulls win away 31-38. The comms outline how Bulls still had a shot at the top four while Ospreys got their two bonus points. And now, Scarlets would have to beat the Stormers on Saturday to claim the Welsh Shield and secure a spot in the Heineken Cup next season. So there wasn't supposed to be much drama in the URC this weekend. So, you know what? I'll take it. Oh, crap. I just realized. Now I have to actually watch the Scarlets game. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. That's rough. Anyway, over in the Prem, we began with Bristol versus Exeter. And it was a nice, close one with Charles Piatow getting a, a Gregory Hines-level dance-around-people try to break a 7-all tie as the half wound down. And did one single hair in his head move, by the way? No. This is Charles Piatow. That doesn't happen. 
I'll tell you, the longer this one went on, the better it got. The Chiefs, they clawed their way back, only to have a man down Bears' side retake the lead at 66 minutes. And the comms said, they have to be careful here, the Bristol. I loved that one. Uh, Another bumble by Hoggy. And the comms mentioned that the Bears have never beaten Exeter here. With seven, uh, They were up seven at the time with seven minutes to go. They simply put it away after that. But around the 83rd minute, Dave Ewers smashed his way through to guarantee a losing bonus point for Exeter. And the evening ended 40 to 33. The Chiefs are a no-go for the playoffs and may well be out of Europe entirely next year. What a come down. Unbelievable. Then, of course, it was Wasps hosting sale. So, <laughs> so Lude, blink, blink, Diager. He got another start, as one would expect, of course. Of course, then it suddenly occurred to me. Does he refer to his own family as the brood Diager? Sorry, I, I've heard he's off to Japan next season, so I have to take as many swings as I can while I can still actually watch him play. In any event, as I've said, I am fully sick of watching Sale play. And holy cow, this was a prime example of why, with a 7-6 halftime score, at which point, not even exaggerating, I literally fell asleep at the kitchen table watching. Their lead sponsor should be, I don't know, NyQuil or maybe Heroin? I'm not sure. Late in the game, <laughs> the ref tells one of the medics on the field, Check sale number five. This is the second time he's been sick on the field. I need to see if he's all right. That was a new one on me. And of course, the medic said, oh, he's fine. And play continued. The system works. <laughs> In any event, three or four uh, REM cycles later, the match mercifully came to an end with Jimmy Gopperth set to kick the Wasps back within losing bonus point and distance. And after announcing many, many times his imminent departure after this season, the comms whispered into the mic, one final breath for Gopreth. One final kick in this arena for Gopreth, which was just top tier stuff. So speaking at once of the kick and the player himself, they said, has it got the legs? And the answer was no, 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 definitely not. Uh, Seven to 16 was the Back down in the Southern Hemisphere on Saturday, it was Chiefs versus the Force, and Western Force, they just never looked like they could match up to anything. Chiefs threw at them a fairly uh, a fairly thorough dismantling in this one. The Chiefs, they more than doubled up their guests, 54 to 21 all told. And when the Chiefs are on, they are most definitely on. Next up was Hurricanes hosting the Rebels. And, you know, it went eerily similar to the previous encounter, in fact, with the home Kiwi side getting more than two points for every one of their visiting Australian opponents. TJ Perinara, he had a great game in this one. The final score would read 45 to 22 at the final buzzer. And next up was the match of the weekend, as far as Super Rugby went, with Brumbies hosting the Blues. This one, whoo, this one promised to be a cracker. Sure enough, it was super tight, super hard fought. Brumbies, they had the only try in the match and led 7 to 3 after about 25 minutes, three times at that point already. They had held up potential Blues tries, but. The visitors were knocking again as the ref became increasingly fed up with the Rumbies' penalties. Former Diamond in the Ruck recipient Falau Fainga'a got a yellow card shortly after that, and Blues looked poised to take advantage. Just as I was about to talk about how incredible the Brumbies' defense had been to that point, they got another yellow card with three minutes left still on Fainga'a's, so they were going to have to adjust if they wanted to stay in it. Bowden Barrett, inevitably, got a simple try out wide after the clock had gone red. But without the without the extras, it was a one point affair, seven to eight at the break. Awesome stuff. By the way, I'm well aware that I'm describing a very similar score to the halftime score for Wasps and Sale, and told you that that other one put me to sleep, and this one was incredible. Yeah, 
that seems contradictory, but it's absolutely true. Anyway, the stats were mind-boggling at halftime in this stage. The Blues claiming 75% possession, seven visits to the Brumbies' 22, and they had only conceded a single penalty compared to Brumbies' nine, yet their lead was only that single point. Bizarro. So two, uh, two quick side notes. I have come to absolutely adore Nick. Now that's a spicy meatball white. He's just such a good player in general. But on top of that, like every single pour is oozing with aggression and attitude. He just, he brings so many extras to the table. Just super exciting to watch no matter what's happening on the scoreboard. Also, I sometimes forget that we're on opposite seasons from Australia. So while this weekend here is set to smash previous heat records, I mean, it's ridiculous here. The comps for this match, but just before the match started, they're all wearing their absolute heaviest coats with massive scarves, bundling up as much of their heads and necks as they could while still being able to actually see who they were. (laughs) Kind of funny stuff. Oh, and also, you know, sad note though, human quadricep Caleb Clark. He had to leave this match pretty early with a hamstring injury. I, I obviously hope it's not too serious, but it didn't look promising. Here's hoping he gets back quickly. That guy is something else. Anyway. Brumbies, they held a four-point lead into the fourth quarter of play, but Blues reclaimed the lead and had a three-point edge heading into the final 10 minutes. Man, oh man. By the way, there are a lot of high tackles they just ignore in this league. Your neck is basically fair game. I foresee this causing many problems with the officiating in the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Just two completely different animals. In any event, uh, the lead was up to six when the home side smashed through with yet another driving ball off of the line out and they would need the conversion to possibly seal this victory. You know, I was sitting there sweating. I had a really hard time trusting Lolasio in this spot, but he came through. The visitors had only about 90 seconds to get any kind of answering score. Oh, my word. Then, what an ending. Blues. They stole the ball from Brumbies deep in their own territory. They drove quickly downfield, got an advantage, but didn't even need it as two-time former World Player of the Year Bowden Barrett put in a drop goal with the clock just gone red, presto, a two-point shocker of a win for the walking death trap that is the Blues, 19-21. to Unbelievable. What a match. The fans, they looked absolutely ready to, to like start a riot at the bare minimum. Just a crusher for sure. Back in the USC, the Dragons were facing the Lions at home. They continued their losing ways. It was 11-21 to at the end. Boy, oh boy, these players must be so freaking relieved this season is officially over. It's just been a, like a waking nightmare for sure. Just, hey guys, nowhere to go for, but up from here. Well, I mean, unless your team gets entirely liquidated by the WRU, of course. Next up, it was my team, Connacht. They were back in Galway hosting Zebre. They fielded a very young side and left the likes of, you know, Bundyaki off the 23 entirely. Nevertheless, it was 22-20 to 20 with about a minute and a half left to go. Zebre coughed up their next possession. And, you know, Connacht should have been should have had an easy time of putting away that final 20 seconds and the match itself, but they knocked it on, giving the visitors one final chance. Oh, boy. It was hard not to root for them at this point. So, of course, uh, they had the entire length of the pitch to traverse to get anywhere near in range. And let's face it, this ain't super rugby. I was just thinking to myself how hard it is to go the distance when the clock's already red because you basically can't try any kicks at all. And then right on cue, as I was writing it, a desperate player for Zebre tried one and it was instantly gobbled up by the Connick fullback who kicked it out and shut the door on the season for both teams with my boys getting one final win, 22 to 20 in front of a very dedicated crowd. Tough season for Connick, much tougher one for Zebre. 
both clubs can turn their eyes to the future. Hopefully there is, well, hope, right? Anyway, Scarlets hosted the Stormers after that with the home team playing quite well and enjoying a lead most of the first half. Stormers would not go away easily, however, and early in the second half, they were behind with the comms saying, and now they have to chase it, which sounded like an, an awful lot like the death rattle I had predicted last week. I don't think Scarlets ever want to be in a position to chase anything except their own tails. However, they did tie it up, and they had a chance to go ahead, but botched the conversion. So with five minutes to play, their shot at next year's European competition seemed to be slipping away, just as you'd expect. Stormers, they got a go-ahead try with literally 15 seconds left on the clock. The Welsh nightmare looked thankfully over for this accursed year. Honestly feels so bad about the situation there right now. It's hard to see how any fans have any hope at all. Just a brutal series of results this entire year long. I'm sure they're going to be ecstatic to see it in the rearview mirror. And Stormers, they secured the South African Shield, as well as the second seed for the URC postseason. Yikes. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, neat. Then, folks, of course, it was the one I had been waiting for. Edinburgh and Glasgow meeting at Murrayfield for the capper for the 1872 Cup. Friends of the pod John Anderson and Craig Manson were both on hand to bear witness. I so wish I could have been there. That would have been so cool. Anyway, for those of you keeping track, the mentioning the so-called dark arts box for the rugby bingo card got checked off very early in this one for the comms. As for the match itself, Edinburgh scored first, but it was only three to nothing after 20 minutes. I got to admit, not the most exciting match I've ever seen. Very much a, well, well, we'll try a few phases, then kick it away, then you can do the same kind of affair. Nobody seemed to be able to get anything going, really. Maybe it's just the familiarity these teams have for each other. Anyway. A lovely try from Blair Pornstash Kinghorn broke the drought, and I know that at least one friend of the pod would have been very excited for that one. Glasgow, they didn't really stay true to current uh, to recent form in this one, scoring only six points in the first half before uh, before preparing for their traditional second half famine. Uh, usually, they, they like to get up, you know, three tries or more before punching out around the forty-eight minute mark. Did this mean that they were about to fully reverse the script, or that they were just in for a bigger than normal spanking? I really didn't want to find out, frankly. Anyway, a yellow card for Rob Harley at the 50-minute mark. Boded ill for the visitors. I mean, that and the fact that they had no offense to speak of whatsoever. I didn't even feel like Edinburgh were particularly fierce on defense. It just felt like Glasgow had nothing to offer on attack. It was weird. 28-11 to 11 was your final score. I just don't understand what's become of the Warriors, though I, I very much suspect it is a coaching thing. I'm hoping to get John and Craig back, you know, to come back on soon to explain all of this to me. But Glasgow, they have fallen off a cliff. I can't imagine what the players are thinking right now. So to finish off this round, the weekend, and the first regular season of this reimagined league, it was Leinster back in Dublin to face Munster. And, you know, it was interesting, the difference between the, the squad selections. So Leinster, they were fielding, uh, I'd say a B, maybe even a C team, while Munster... They were starting a much more experienced group, although, you know, Peter O'Mahony was out. I, I presume he was, you know, cheap shotting a poolside waiter somewhere in Dubai. Um, Leinster started a guy I'd never even seen before. I'm pretty sure his name was Hu Odat. Uh, <laughs> however, as we've learned, it honestly doesn't matter who's on the field for Leinster. They just continue tearing up trees regardless. And today it took them all of 80 seconds to score their first try. Not a good sign for the visitors. As I had hoped, though, of course, Munster settled down. They clawed back. They took their first lead in the second half, up 15 to 19 with a man advantage at the time. But that script, I keep talking about scripts flipping, flipping this 
week. That's weird. I just noticed it. That must be the third time I've used that phrase. Awkward. Anyway, um, that script would flip fully once more with Leinster back up 32 to 22, enjoying a man advantage themselves. This was around the 55 minute mark. Uh, and there was Devin Toner. There he came on off the bench, immediately barking orders, making his gigantic presence known to everybody. I'll, I'll tell you, I think he earned a special place in my heart from that time a few years ago. He and all Irish fans were completely shocked to find him dropped from the national side. And while, it, you know, it was frankly probably the right call, he then sort of became a, like a, a sort of hard done by underdog kind of guy. And if you are a regular listener, you'll know that is absolutely my wheelhouse. In any event, though, Le- Leinster, they were in the end way too much, winning 35 to 25 with Jordan Larmer getting player of the match after three months out. Great stuff by him. And. The URC, regular season this year. That was a wrap. Going back to the second-to-last weekend for the Premiership, the Saturday fixtures started with Bath facing London Irish. And, you know, I can admit, it was really hard to get excited about this one. However, in the end, it it turned out to be a really good match. The teams were locked at 24 as they approached the final 10 minutes of the contest. So, and I'll tell you, I've complained frequently in this very space about just how crap it is to watch Bath at home when the conditions are rainy, which happens a lot, by the way. But it is worth noting, the opposite is also true. It was a gorgeous day for the packed house. Great stuff. So with just over six minutes remaining, Orlando Bailey kicked his team back into the lead. Bath were up three, the crowd slathering at the mouth. It was fun to see their fans in such fine form. If any of you might remember, I was at a Free Jacks game earlier this year. It might have been the very first one. And I spotted a guy in a bath jersey. And I was like, hey, nice bath jersey. Or, you know, something equally creative like that. And his response was to grunt and continue walking away, scowling like a champ. In any event, that's exactly how this one would end. A lovely 27 to 24 victory for the home team on a gorgeous day in that ancient city. Next up was Harlequins hosting Gloucester. And it was a beauty. Unless, of course, you support Gloucester. Uh, Gloucester seemed to confuse themselves with another team that begins with the letters GL, giving away 21 unanswered points in the second half ultimately losing a huge game at Twickenham. Harlequins do this so often, opposing teams must just never feel confident or comfortable no matter how big a lead they get. The Quins will always come back, and seemingly they will always squeeze you out at the end. 28-24 to in this case, Harlequins, they are still my pick for the champions this, uh, this season. Amazing. Next up was Newcastle versus Leicester. The Falcons kept it close for maybe, you know, two-thirds of the match, but then the Tigers, they flipped a switch somewhere, and by the end, they had what looked like an easy away win, 5-27. to Finally, Saracens were at home for Northampton. The Saints would need a miracle to stay in the race. Saracens knew that the Saints would need a bonus point win, so they were clearly on Operation Slowdown and had them down 35-17 to with nigh on a quarter hour to go. You could tell there was just no way at that point. Sure enough, Andy Goode. Scored a try from a diabolical diagonal. It was eye-popping. Austin Healy immediately said, Andy Good could run into a phone box with four people in it and nobody would notice he was there. That that one, whew, that one's going on the wall, my friends. At the end, 42 to 38 was the score. And by the way, the rest of the Prem has to be a bit worried about the machine that currently is the Saracens. No come from behind wins for them, just dominance. I'm sticking with my Quinn's pick, but I am officially worried. So on Sunday, to finish the Southern Hemisphere fixtures, it was uh, my Highlanders versus the Waratahs. It was the last home game for my disappointing team this year. 
and they were fielding a depleted side for sure. Toss, they dominated the whole way. It's so strange to see us consistently losing to the Aussie sides. It feels like even 10 or 11 months ago, that simply would just never happen. Very tough year for, uh, for my guys, dropping yet another one, 20 to 32 in the end. Ugh. Back in MLR action on Saturday, DC, they were at home to face Houston. Houston won what amounted to a shootout, I suppose, with 101 points scored total. 59 of those points went to the visitors, and Houston is definitely better than I, th I had thought a few weeks ago. So Dallas, they hosted LA. Dallas would lose yet again, this time 12 to 56. The sun seems to be setting on their season. Uh, Nola, they were back at the gold mine for San Diego, and the Enigmatic Legion won handily, 12 to 42. Are they the most unpredictable team this year? The answer is yes. So these results brought us precariously close to seeing a full picture of what the playoffs will hold, but more on that later. Of course, it is time now for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, Cornell Hendricks is the lucky winner. Mr. Hendricks, your hat trick was the difference in a close win for your Bulls this weekend. Your performance all year has been top-notch. You more than doubled the, leaders, uh, the leader for Ospreys in clean breaks, beat eight defenders, and it looked like 80 to be sure. You racked up 105 meters and were ferocious on defense as well. So while your Springbok days might be behind you, you are still a shining star in a very bright squad. This latest amazing performance has earned you this most prestigious of awards. Cornell Hendricks, my dear friend, you are the lucky winner of this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. Congratulations and well done, my friend. Okay, of course, that brings us to our updates and previews and the EPCR. On Friday, my friends, we will have the final for what I'm currently calling the Keystone Ice Cup with an all-French affair between Lyon and Toulon. Can't wait for that one. And, of course, on Saturday, the Big Daddy, the Heineken Cup final featuring Leinster versus La Rochelle. And, wow, that should be awesome. It looks like it's Leinster to lose at that point. So the Premiership, they will have a week off before their final round. The URC has a week off before starting their quarterfinals. The URC, of course, has wrapped things up for their final round before getting to the final eight, as they're calling it, which, of course, will feature Ulster hosting Munster, the Bulls hosting the Sharks. So, I mean, at least that's good news for the Northern teams, and at least that one South African side will have been eliminated. And then, of course, Leinster. They will take on the desiccated corpse of Glasgow and, I assume, bury it under the Aviva Stadium. And finally, Edinburgh, they get back on the road to face the Stormers. That one looks to go only one way as well. The Premiership has the, only the one round remaining, which I noticed does put their semifinals on the same weekend as the URC. So it's kind of cool to see these leagues, you know, close that circle altogether. The quarterfinalists are almost set in stone with Leicester unreachable in first place, followed by Saracens and Harlequins. But it is an unlikely possibility that Gloucester could still overtake Northampton for that final coveted spot. I could have sworn I heard them say this weekend that the result this weekend spelled the end for the Cherry and Whites, but you know, when I look at the table, I see Saints only up two league points, so I'm pretty sure my math is right on this one. Anyway, <laughs> all predictions wrong or your money back. Down in Super Rugby Pacific, we have another wackadoodle makeup match, this time on Tuesday of all days, between Moana Pacifica and the Western Force. Man, oh man, what a difficult first year for Moana Pacifica. They're simply bound to have a, a much better time of it next year. You know, it, it can't be any other way, frankly. So Friday, 
will feature Crusaders versus the Reds, while Saturday gives us uh, the Fijian Drew versus the Chiefs, Mona Pacifica versus the, the Brumbies. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Playing on a Friday, then on a Tuesday, then on a Saturday, with the last fixture being against the powerhouse Brumbies. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, that is rough. In any event, then it's the Waratahs facing the Blues, and on Sunday, the Western First versus the Hurricanes, and finally, the Rebels versus Highlanders. This is actually the final round, as I mentioned earlier, a fact that had somehow caught me completely by surprise. So if my math is correct, the eight teams that will advance to the quarterfinals are already set. Somehow, my Highlanders are in the eighth spot. But even if they lose and give away a bonus point win to the Rebels, Melbourne, they, they still would be a point off. So this might be a final round of some very experimental sides all around. Uh, the eight teams that are on their way to the elimination rounds will be the Blues, the only team to have league points in the 50s, followed by the 40-plus club featuring Crusaders, Brumbies, and Chiefs. The next three are all in the 30s, the Hurricanes, the Waratahs, and the Reds. And as I said, my lowly Highlanders have somehow snuck in with a paltry 22 points. Uh, have a fun trip to Eden Park, guys. It'll be great. Anyway, back here at home in the MLR on Friday, Seattle will host Houston. And then on Saturday, Atlanta hosts Toronto. Utah will be home for LA. Austin will be taking on San Diego for the Legion's final match of the season. While on Sunday, Old Glory, they are back in D.C. for New Jersey. And finally, I, of course, will be at Fort Quincy as my Free Jacks welcome NOLA. Looking at the playoff picture, there is a ghost of a chance that San Diego can worm their way into the top three, but Houston only need two points total in two games that they have still coming to eliminate that possibility entirely. The top two will be L.A. and Austin, as we've you know sort of known for quite a while now, it feels like. Here in the East, there's a similar situation where the Toronto Arrows could defy odds and logic to sneak past Hoboken RFC, but... I would categorize that as possible rather than plausible. Uh, the teams are obviously my beloved Free Jacks on top with Atlanta and New Jersey tied at nine points off of that. So if we were to lose our final two matches and didn't even get a losing bonus point out of either of those, both of those teams have a chance if they got the max points out of both of their remaining fixtures to leapfrog us for the uh, the opening round by. But this this... I gotta say, it seems far-fetched, he said, hoping he didn't just curse his own team. You know, for MLR, what a year it's been for this competition. All of these competitions that we just described, I can't believe they're all finishing up so soon. It's been amazing, and we have some incredible elimination playoff stuff coming. It's going to be unbelievable, folks. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out and for your recent suggestions. It's just always great to hear from you. I hope keeping things quicker and tighter this week and the previous couple of weeks has been a good idea. Thank you for checking out the new format. I'm very happy with it. And I got my first official monthly supporter just this past week. Thanks so much to him. I will talk more about that soon. If you would like to jump on the bandwagon, I mean, it's trending. So get on board early, folks. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on the Insta. You can always email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would really help grow the show. And if you like what we're doing here, there's a couple of ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this very episode. So thank you all once again for coming along to all of you across the globe. It's been so great. Cheers. 
Talk to you soon and be well.